is High Low Brow, the show with highbrow takes on lowbrow culture. I'm your host, Amanda Scriver. I'm your other host, Danita Steinberg. We are here for another episode. We are here. How's it going? I left the house yesterday, so that's nice. Wow. <laughs> big, big mood. <laughs> Had a huge, huge outing. Left the house for yes. a whole almost a whole day and then I got home and I was like fuck that was exhausting did life before did leaving the house did it used to be this exhausting I think it was and I have been thinking a lot about this in general and I think in the before times it definitely was exhausting and like anxiety inducing and hard but we were so acclimated to it that we just sort of ignored it or just like didn't even notice it or we were just like well this is how things are I'm just always tired and stressed out (laughs) and after six 16 months of being inside and mostly just being by myself and and only having to navigate my own shit and my own emotions Mm -hmm. it's really a stark contrast to how I feel going out into the world now I'm just like I get home after like three hours and I'm tired and and I I don't know about you but I'm just feeling like I'm not about this life anymore so (laughs) but I'm I am someone who is I'm definitely like an extroverted invert and I you know I get a lot of alone time at home because I live alone so Mm. I do have quite a bit of energy to like do social things and go out and those kinds of things. So I'm trying to like figure out a balance between getting those needs met, but also reserving energy and just like honoring my needs, you know, and just not going overboard, you know, maybe instead of seeing four friends in a day, I see two friends, um, which probably sounds crazy for some people already to begin with. But again, I live alone. And I think that really, um, you know, I don't get human interaction unless I'm out. So I think Mm -hmm. that's, I don't, you know, I, I work remotely, like I get no human interaction a lot of the time, which I, which I really like, I revel in. But yeah, so I, I am someone who likes to go out and do things and see friends and, and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, I live with my partner. So my situation is a bit different. And I love my partner. And it's great. So we have each other, which is totally different. However, I miss my friends. Not to say my partner isn't great. They're amazing and awesome. We have a very fun time together. We've had so many laughs. I want to see my friends so much, but going out into the human world, going out into the human world, I'm talking like I'm a robot. (laughs) Anyways, going out into the human world is very um, hard because it's like there's so many X factors of like, you don't know what is out there and you don't know what you're going to encounter, which is also like cool I want to go see my friends and I just want to like you know eat cheese or have a nice fancy like Shirley Temple (laughs) basically what I'm trying to say is you don't know what you're going to encounter when you get to said place and then it like throws everything into chaos I don't remember life being like this and 
what's equally funny about this, you know how people think they know you from the internet and they're like, oh, you're like this or you're like that. People used to think that I was this like big party person or that I was this big social person because I would post certain things on the internet. So I would go to events for work or to cover things. So they thought I was like out all the time. And I was like, no, I I actually don't like going out. So basically what I'm trying to tell you is like, I'm this most fucking awkward, weird person ever. <laughs> and like, whatever you see on the internet is not real. I am a homebody and I don't like, I don't like being out. Yeah, I, I like going out, but I, I do have, I do have a lot of social anxiety. Um, and I relate to that totally. Like I've been to many a thing and, uh, just, just sitting there by myself being very stressed out. It reminds me of, I don't know if you, if you watched the, the Bo Burnham movie, eighth grade. Yes. But there's a scene where she's at a, the, the main character is at a, pool party and everyone is in the pool and you know jumping and laughing and playing and like just having the the best time and she is like inside just kind of like looking out from the like you know sliding back doors and to me it was just it just encapsulated that feeling of like why can't I have fun like everyone else is and that just struck so so deeply it's hard to be kind of going back to those feelings you know I'm realizing it's like and maybe we're getting a little too deep here but like this is like therapy well it, it was funny because I was just about to say oddly enough I've talked about that that exact situation with my therapist being like I'm on the outside looking in yeah, I mean, I th- I think that's a very common, like, neurodivergent feeling to have, mm-hmm. whether it's autism or ADD or sort of anything that falls under that spectrum. I think that's a pretty universal feeling. Totally. But, but yeah, it's, you know, what I realized in quarantine, in isolation for so long, it's very, very, very easy to be by yourself. I mean, for me, at least. I know a lot of people struggle with that, but it's very easy for me. It feels very safe. It feels like my little cocoon, you know, my apartment. And I don't, and for me, a lot of it is like navigating other people's emotions too. And like a a big part of my, my journey has been just kind of understanding that I am not responsible for other people's emotions. Yes. Um, You know, (laughs) it's, it's very, very hard. It's very, very hard for me, but you know, but so I'm, I'm kind of, I feel like I was before quarantine, I was kind of like reaching a really good place with that, but I'm like out of practice and it is a practice. And so I've been kind of, you know, if I go out with someone, I'm like, are they having fun? I hope they're having fun. Are you having fun? I'm really stressed about you having fun. So yeah. Anyway, long story short, re-entry has been a challenge, but I'm grateful for it and I'm happy and I feel like my cup is full. Yeah, I fucking love my friends. My friends are the best. I've been having... I cried when I went to my first live drag show. I can't remember if I talked about that, but fuck, I did. And I was just like, who am I? What is happening? This is like... (laughs) I I wasn't expecting it. I just did. (laughs) I was like, 
why am I so overcome with emotions? We had a bit of a challenge trying to figure out what we want to talk about because it's just Olympics, 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 which I do not fucking care about at all. They should be like gotten rid of forever. But you, you have a kind of an interesting take. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Please share. Like you were saying, the Olympics totally should be canceled. And there's a lot of reasons why it should be canceled. But I think specifically this Olympics should be canceled because of COVID, like obviously. Uh, and there's a lot to unpack there. We're not going to get into it because oof, it's it's a big topic. But uh, recently I saw that Megan Rapinoe, I, I, I might be mispronouncing her last name, and I, I believe that she uses she, her pronouns. And if I am mistaken, I apologize. But she was promoting uh, CBD gummies and topical sticks recently during the Olympics. And trust me, I smoke weed. I write about cannabis. I like do all of the things. I also understand my place in a system where I am a white woman and also writing about these issues. And I like get it. What is really infuriating to me about this whole issue is that Megan Rapinoe, while she herself is a white lesbian, Shikari was actually told she could not attend the Olympics for cannabis being in her system. So it seems like a really huge double standard to have from the Olympics to be like, well, this person can promote CBD gummies and topical sticks, but this person can't attend the Olympics because they had cannabis in their system. Now, before I continue, because I have so many, so many feelings, I understand because I don't need people to be like, but CBD isn't like, you know, psychoactive or it's not this or that. Yeah, I get that. Like, I've written extensively about this. <laughs> I, I am aware. But I think what we, we need to really understand and unpack here is just how cannabis actually impacts and marginalizes individuals who are Black, Brown, and in like marginalized in a system that is classist and racist. So when you are a white person at the Olympics, which is a huge platform promoting something like CBD and saying, this is great. And all athletes should be using it for wellness. Who, who is that really benefiting? Like, that's my biggest question. Is it benefiting white athletes? (laughs) Because it certainly isn't benefiting anybody like Shikari. That's that's my statement. I, I just, I, I see shit like that. And it's so infuriating to me because it's not just the Olympics and sports that are doing things like this. It's makeup brands. It's, I mean, we could continue. It's all sorts of different brands. And uh, actually, in September or October, I have a piece, a cover story coming out with Chatelaine on psychedelics. That, like, there's a whole bunch of shit happening with the psychedelics industry. Same, same thing. And I mean, at the end of the day, it's just capitalism. It's capitalism at the end of the day that are fueling these sort of industries to try and get them out to 
en masse as many people as possible. But when we don't take into consideration drug reform and we don't take into consideration decriminalization, then it's not benefiting anybody. And like, I'm not saying that CBD or cannabis or psychedelics don't have like wellness properties. What I am saying is that if you don't actually work from an anti-oppression or a decriminalization or a drug reform point, you're not actually helping anyone. Yeah. Also on our, or maybe, well, on our, on both of our radars, but I think specific to my interests as a documentary lover and a, and a movie lover and an Anthony Bourdain lover, I went last weekend, by the way, I've gone to three movies in the past week. My personality is back. How is it? I I genuinely want to know, like. You know, it's totally fine. I mean, I don't know that because it's summer, I think a lot, I don't think a lot of people are even like rushing to the movies. I Mm -hmm. mean, for me, summer is when I go to the movies, not because I love blockbusters, but I love the darkness and the cold. Yeah, I was (laughs) going to say the fucking AC in a movie theater is on point. Continue. Back to the Anthony Bourdain documentary. Yes. There is a bit of controversy because the director, Morgan Neville, used a an AI version of Burdain's voice, like a deep fake voice for some um, voiceover in the in the documentary. I will say it's not a lot. There's a little bit in the intro and then maybe midway through there is a deep fake voice reading an email that he had sent to someone in the film being interviewed. And people were really, I feel like, outraged and offended and and um, they felt like it crossed some like ethical line. Mm-hmm. And I will say, I don't think the deep fake voice was necessary at all. That being said, I didn't have like a personal problem with it other than it being unnecessary. Um, I think documentary and I include reality television under that umbrella mm-hmm. is inherently unethical. So I I don't know that this is any different, but I think people are very precious about Anthony Bourdain and maybe that's kind of where the upset feelings are coming from. But I'm disappointed that that's kind of overshadowing the documentary and maybe kind of, even when I saw that news, I was like, oh, maybe I don't want to see it anymore. But so I think a lot of people are maybe taking that route and avoiding it because of it. Yeah. But I I really loved the documentary and I feel like it was both heartbreaking and cathartic at the same time. And to spend two more hours with him was so nice. Yeah. But and it felt it felt kind of like a dream and then the and then the movie ends and you wake up and you have to lose him all over again. Aww. But in the same way it, it was sort of like this collective opportunity to grieve because the filmmaker talks to so many people in his life mm-hmm. and um, they're all still so so devastated by the loss and obviously I didn't know him so I don't know I can't imagine what they're feeling yeah. um, I'm just feeling grief from this like parasocial loss yes but also and like I just want to give like a little suicide trigger warning of course you can't avoid that aspect of his life 
they don't really name his mental illness in the documentary and maybe he was never diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but they didn't even really need to, but from my perspective, his struggles, I really resonated with as someone on the bipolar spectrum. And it, it was hard to, it's always hard to watch someone with mental illness and you relate to them, but yeah. It's also valuable, I think. And I related so deeply to that feeling of being excited for the future and so full of curiosity and love, which I think is what people love about him so much is that he does embody those things. Mm -hmm. That feeling can be taken away from you so quickly when you live with something like this. And it's like whiplash. The next day, you feel like there's truly no point and there's nothing to live for when just the day before you were just like so you felt so full oh big feels (laughs) because yes yes you feel you feel robbed and I think that's what is so hard about bipolar is that you do get and of course the the hypomania or the mania isn't really real the real you either I mean you are there you do have a baseline which is always the preferred but you do get a glimpse of like how precious life is and how beautiful life is and how much there is to experience and enjoy and you feel that so deeply but then it's just taken away from you and so you just feel like you just feel constantly robbed and so to see that reflected back to me was really really hard but but valuable too. And, and the movie doesn't really want to solve why he committed suicide. It's, and it didn't really conclude with like this empty message about like, it gets better, which I, which I definitely appreciated. And it, for me, it, it was a little fly on the wall. And even though it is very heavy on the interviews, but it kind of just observes those left behind um, grappling with a sudden huge void and, it also makes you feel, at least it made me feel that like, despite the darkness, there are meals and experiences and, and people to keep going for, you know, yeah. and I think people really had a hard time with his suicide because he presents as this like person with, not presents, like he, it, he was somebody with a lot of joy to vive and curiosity and affection for life and he he even in the documentary he said he's like devoted his life to the pursuit of pleasure and so for someone to say that and then ultimately commit suicide it's very hard to reconcile especially if you've never really felt those things so it was it was a lot for me but ultimately I think it's like a very nice portrayal and and a wonderful movie Yeah. And I was going to say, I feel like, and you can feel free to correct me if you feel differently, but I think even still as mental health issues become more talked about and as mental health issues become, you know, more known about people still don't really get it. (laughs) Like, and how different people, it's sort of, hits or lands for them. So like the way something may affect you may affect me differently, may affect someone else. I mean, we all experience mental health issues, but if you aren't someone who lives with a chronic mental illness, Mm -hmm. it it would be impossible to 
know what that's like. I mean, you can empathize, but you Mm -hmm. can't ever really understand it. For me to see this documentary and all of the people and things and experiences and travels and adventures that he left behind, it does, it does kind of, it makes you realize that there's a lot to live for. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying what he did was wrong at all. I'm not someone who thinks suicide is selfish, like, but for me, at least it, it it's life affirming, oddly enough, because I don't want to, I don't want to miss those things. Totally. I get that. <sighs> is this weird for a podcast? I don't know, but that's just real. That's just what that documentary made me think of, despite the, the deep fake stuff. So I think if you're a Bourdain fan, don't let that stop you from going. On that note, who are we talking to this week and and what are we talking about? This week, we're talking to Natalie Zena Walschutz. She is the author of Hench, which was one of CBC Reads' top picks this year. And she is also one of my former co-workers. And we have an amazing discussion about all things fan fiction. So if you're in... <laughs> This seems like a complete 180, but trust me, you're going to want to stick with us because this conversation is not only hilarious, but it is super fun. And Natalie and I had the best time recording it. So today on the show, we have one of Canada's best new writers, but also one of my former co-workers and colleagues. We have Natalie Zeno Walshitz. Did I say it wrong? You, <laughs> you said Walshitz, which is arguably one of the funnier mispronunciations. It's like like shots, like oh. shoot a wall. You did it perfectly the first time. <laughs> I know. I did too. I, and you know what the worst thing is, is that we even stopped the recording so that I could ask you <laughs> then, and then I said it wrong. It's okay. So let's go. We can just do it again. It's fine. You know what? I, I just want to lean into this. <laughs> I apparently don't know how to talk. Nat, I'm so happy to have you here. I am so happy to be here. This is, I was thrilled when you asked me and this is, this is going to be a blast. I'm super pumped. I'm super pumped. I mean, I don't think that a lot of people know that we work together. And the thing is, is that I am so grateful to you for the time that we got to work together because I think that you ultimately made me a little bit cooler. Oh, Um, God, no. (laughs) (laughs) Fun fact, you taught me what it meant to ship things. Ah, yes. Remember that? Mm, I I do. Like, oh, yeah, I ship these two characters together. Not yet. Yeah. I do recall that. (laughs) You you taught me what it meant. Like, you taught me all these fun little things about, like, nerd culture and fandoms. And, And for that, I am grateful. So thank you. Thank you, Nat. I am profoundly glad that my deep and abiding dorkitude could enrich your life. Before we get into sort of like what the job was, we're not going to get into the full details. I don't know if our NDA is broken yet or (laughs) (laughs) what the deal is. I, I I want you to sort of like tell our listeners, tell everybody who's here, 
little bit about Nat. Cause like you are not, you are not just like a writer. You are not just a person on the internet. You are, I want to say an enigma. You are <laughs> Whoa. a lot of things. I'm, I'm a lot of, I'm a lot of things, but that's like, that definitely makes me sound much cooler than I am. I'm a writer, I guess, first and foremost. That's probably, that's the, the easiest, um, but, um, also deceptively simple way to, to describe it. I, I'm a novelist, which is still a weird thing to say and, and for sure makes me feel like weirdly pretentious, even though it's just a fact, but it, it still feels super weird. A lot of my work is making games. So this is tabletop games, like tabletop RPGs, also video games, uh, and also weirder things that are generally called interactive experiences, which can be anything from like VR to an escape room to alt reality games or real life puzzles, that kind of thing. Lots of lots of weird. I make lots of lots of weird stuff. I've also done a ton of journalism, mostly music journalism, but arts and culture in general, and uh, a bunch of super other weird content creation jobs, such as uh, like a lot of community management, a lot of social media stuff, so fiction and and otherwise. Um, I've even written copy for porn, so it's a, a big, weird, wide portfolio. Yeah, and I'm adding weird stuff to it all the time. I'm also a person. A person on the internet, an extremely online human, uh, which has mostly been very good, occasionally been very bad for for my life and health, but usually quite positive. Yeah, and that's uh, my 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 novel is Hench. It's about hench people, i.e. the the employees of of supervillains and their lack of benefits, uh, and how superheroes may actually be bad for the earth. Actually, once you start doing the math and and looking into the insurance claims, uh, I promise it's a lot funnier than that makes it sound but there are a lot of spreadsheets. I have read your book. I loved it. It it was great. Thank you. Also, I deeply enjoyed that it used a lot of spreadsheets because <laughs> I think anybody who knows me knows that I love a good spreadsheet. So, I mean, yes, we were talking about how we got to work together. We got to do uh, social media together on a science fiction television show, which was a absolute blast. Which kind of leads into what our topic is about this week. It does. Which is fan fiction? I, I say that with a question. It's question mark, but that's the topic. <laughs> it is indeed the topic. The, que- the question is more of a, of a spiritual or existential question mark. Uh, but fact, fan fiction, yeah. one of my deep and abiding loves on this, on this hell planet. When, I, when we go back to when I was like, that taught me like all of the weird little nooks and crannies and like words and things that I needed to know. That is this person that we need for the fan fiction episode. <laughs> I just remember us reading some of the fan fiction related to this project that we Mm -hmm. were working on and um, the calls that we had related to some of this. And so the the fandom was super passionate and engaged, which is great. And for any community manager is an absolute boon. It makes my job a a thousand times better and easier uh, but and engaged and passionate fandom makes fan art makes fan fiction like you know it's it's going to happen and is 
a really great thing and a thing we for sure wanted to encourage. Fan fiction is not always PG. However, I would I would say there's there's a, a considerable preponderance toward uh, adult material. Like a, a lot of it is like absolutely G rated and like fun and maybe goofy or maybe just like very emotional and and uh, it is it is every genre right. Like it it spans uh, every possible genre, but there is definitely a large quantity of adult material. And it was challenging to figure out how to engage with that in a way that supported and celebrated the fandom and also was like in a way that everybody could be could be comfortable with. There's also like, you know, the the kind of more legal or technical problem of like if if you are a creator and you you know read fan fiction and then do a thing that in any way resembles that in the future that can be like legally compromising so you you kind of have to have like plausible deniability it's also just bad practice to like read fan fiction about a, a active universe if you're the person making it Yes. Which makes me very sad because I exist in a world now in which there's a couple people, pieces rather, of fan fiction about my own work, which, by the way, is a high watermark of success for me. Like, that's all I've ever wanted in life. So I've won, as far as I'm concerned, of one one <laughs> living on planet Earth. Um, but I can never read it because, for exactly that reason, for like, I'm thrilled mm-hmm. that it exists. And I, I my, my partner reads it for me to report that the porn is good or not. But otherwise like i i just cannot cannot engage with it whatsoever i have to just just you know put my blinders on pretend and i do not see it exactly uh <laughs> despite being yeah. thrilled that it is there so that was definitely like a, a very challenging yeah you know situation to to navigate um from a community management perspective and and from a social perspective but also it's it's also something that is difficult to explain sometimes if you're not extremely familiar with and comfortable with fandom and fan culture and its behavior anyway fan fiction doesn't inherently have to be sexual in nature no absolutely not yeah no in in no way whatsoever in fact a a lot of it is is not there's sort of the almost cliche that like you know the the point of fan fiction is to make sure that the characters you would like to bone do that thing and and in the way that you would like them to uh which by the way great (laughs) a fine and noble (laughs) use for this this genre of fiction but it can also be like uh, a chance to insert uh, a new or original character into a series that you feel like you want to see someone else in. It has a, it's the opportunity to explore storylines from different perspectives, from the viewpoint of another character, from, you know, to see a thing happen on screen that we only learn about off screen. Um, it's an opportunity to, you know, get inside someone's feelings, to explore a deeper relationship, to explore alternate, like kind of the alternate realities or like the the multiverse of that particular fictional universe, like what might have happened if a different decision was made, or you know if this character yeah. lived instead of this other one, or whatever. Like it's a it's kind of a an endless what if machine generator. Yeah, and I think Harry Potter is there's so much fandom out there. Well, I mean, like 
it's it's you know we can't blame the fandom because jk rowling is a turf but you know it got so queer because of fan fiction the fans of that series made the identity of that universe much queerer than it is in canon like by far Mm -hmm. and away and that's you know one of the the really lovely functions of fan fiction it's often an outlet for fans to explore the representation that they wish was in a series or a thing that they loved whether that's like queer characters whether that's characters of color whether that's you know characters who have different gender identities like whatever that might Mm -hmm. look like um, it's an opportunity for people to see the representation in the stories that they love that they wish was their to begin with. Um, it's also an mm-hmm. opportunity to explore other aspects of an existing character who may like, for example, like, because we've, we've, you know, because we're talking about Harry Potter, the sort of like throwaway, like, oh, Dumbledore's gay. It's like, there's, n- but where? <laughs> no, you know, that's, that's like, okay, cool. You yeah. you said that in an interview at some point that you decided that this is canonically yeah. true or whatever, but none of that exists anywhere in the actual text. Like we, we, we know that in the, in, in games and in a lot of other media, there's like the idea of the story Bible, which is here's everything we know that exists in the universe, whether we see this on screen yep. or on the page or not, you know, like even if we like never meet this character's ex-husband and they never mention yep. them, they exist. So like there's a note for them in the story Bible. It's all, it's, it's everything that does and does not exist that we know mm-hmm. in that universe. So whether that is canonically true in a story Bible sense, um, it really doesn't matter like very profoundly what makes it to the screen or what makes it to the page. And fan fiction is often an opportunity to explore parts of the universe that don't, whether they're canon or not, um, but to give more space and airtime and voice to those characters and those ideas and those identities. Yeah. And I mean, I think it gives people a safer space to even explore what those ideas and those Mm -hmm. sort of feelings and those thoughts are because sometimes you don't have a space to explore what any of that is. So getting those thoughts, feelings, ideas out on the page in something that you have a genuine connection to is a great place to do that. Absolutely. And like every fandom, of course, has a different personality. You know, there's a, the, the communities are all different um, and they have, you know, different, like different community standards and different, you know, are supportive or unsupportive of different kind of things. And they have their own kinds of cultural norms. Like this is, you know, very much a, an internet phenomenon thing that I could talk about for a very long time in isolation for sure. But every, <laughs> every fandom has its own norms, has its own kind yes. of microculture and being a part of that particular fan culture like not fan culture as like an overarching thing but you know whatever specific community you belong to is a very powerful kind of belonging and it's it's one that's rooted in a mutual love of a thing it's like we all Mm -hmm. we all love this so much that we want to spend more time in this fictional place and we want to build out this universe to become a bigger richer more complicated thing so we can all spend more time there that's Mm -hmm. i think a really cool and is and really lovely and kind of magical but it also gives folks a you know there's sort of a an, an innate like 
positive feedback loop. You yep. know, it's you 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 have this built-in community that always wants to talk about the thing that you care about. And by contributing material to that community, you're contributing material to that community, but you're also going to get feedback on it. Even if that's just like somebody, you know, telling you they liked it, it could be also like very advanced critique. It could mm-hmm. be, you know, like you can post a scene you're not sure about and get advice about it. It's a, it's a very collaborative creative space as well. So all of that goes into, you know, creating, creating again, like I I think as you identified really well, like, and again, it depends on the fandom, of course, but it it can be a really safe and supportive space, especially for people like who belong to any kind of marginalized identity to Mm -hmm. find you know, other folks who care really passionately about the same things that they do and who will help make space for them. Yeah. And one interesting thing that I actually noticed just with like the whole free Britney movement going on is that Mm. there's actually been people writing fic about that, but just sort of from a sense of, you know, trying to, from an activism part of you and just about how they're going to overtake her, you know, lawyers and this and that. I'm like, I kind of love where Gen Z is like going with this. It's like activism, but it's also fanfic. And I'm like, this is kind of rad. super cool. It's like, (laughs) uh, it's almost like like a magic spell in that kind of way. It's wish fulfillment, right? You're like, this is what I want to happen. This is like, you know, in, 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 you know, in kind of that way that like the internet decided that everybody was going to go to area 51, like last year, the year before, whatever it was. And like, we're (laughs) we're all going to collectively raid area 51 and everybody like wrote real life, real fan fiction about like what happened to them at area 51 and like what they were going to do. First of all, hilarious. uh, (laughs) Definitely. But it's, but it's also like, this profound kind of wish fulfillment, right? A, mm-hmm. a lot of, um, not all for sure, but like a lot of fan fiction is self-insertion, mm-hmm. which sometimes gets kind of like shit on, I think really unfairly. Like, oh, mm-hmm. you just put yourself in your story. Like, yeah, I did. Cause I want to go and meet some dragons and be a hero. <laughs> and I thought it would be <laughs> rad to do that. Like it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sort of like subgenre or, or um, that, you know, that can be disparaged, but that like wish fulfillment, self-insertion, whether it's into a fictional world or whether it's into a, the world in which we inhabit, but the way we want it to be is, Mm -hmm. is a really profound act in a lot of different ways. And uh, I think, you know, again, like a really, really lovely one. And that, you know, that like, somebody kind of saying like, you know, I don't have the, I don't have the power to like protect Brittany from her monstrous father, but I wish I did. And here's what I would do if I could is like, you know, you, what a, what a thing to spend your like wish fulfillment energy on, you know, like that's like, that's pretty, pretty cool. You were just kind of talking about using your wish fulfillment. So I guess where, where does sometimes that cross the line? Cause I know sometimes you could write these things. You could be like, Oh, I want to like do all of these terrible things to this person. And you can insert yourself into that narrative. But when, when does that sometimes get blurry? And I'm thinking about, uh, I guess it would have been a few years ago, but, uh, Trixie and Katya, it was during DragCon one year, 
had someone in the audience come up and try to read them a piece of fan fiction. And oh, but, right. Yeah. And both of them are, they're not like people. Pe- I was going to say people, people, but like that's not <laughs> correct English whatsoever. They're, they, they don't like being in situations. They're super like, they don't like human interaction. So you can only imagine like the discomfort of like having this person that they don't know coming up and like reading that to them. Like if that was me, I would fully leave my body. Like I would find a way to astral project and just <laughs> depart this earth. But I think I think that like I think that's really important. <laughs> like writing fiction about a fictional character is a very different thing than like writing that same thing about a real living breathing person who you are like there are just there's a lot of things there's a lot of things here so okay a very a very simple way i think is the word fan like literally to be a fan of anything is mm-hmm. a shortened version of fanatic right like you are obsessed with or in love with something right like to- kind of like stan culture not unlike stan culture at all in fact like not you know a kind of like there can be healthy obsessions and there can be unhealthy obsessions and you know Mm -hmm. yes it is sometimes easier and safer to give all that like big obsessive attachment like space in a fictional way where like listen sherlock does not care if you write like 500,000 words of BDSM porn about him because he does not exist and does not care, right? Like there's just, you can, so go go forth. Like there is, that's fine. It's a hundred percent like, I was going to say no one will be made uncomfortable by that. That's not entirely true, but like it's not directed (laughs) at a person. It's directed at a character. There's, you know, it clears up a lot of, you know, concerns there. Whereas like, if you write exactly the same thing about the actor who plays that role or a, a real person who exists on the earth in any other capacity, that's a very different and potentially like very uncomfortable, even like depending on what it is, like frightening perspective to be in. So, and I know like real fic is a, is a thing like to write like, very similar to fan fiction and kind of like style and content and and you know like form and ethos all that kind of stuff about like real life situations and real life people Mm -hmm. and like you know like britney spears and britney's terrible dad um and that and i definitely don't want to be like all of that is bad and wrong but like it is a different thing to direct that energy toward a person who exists and might have feelings about it as opposed to directing that energy toward a fictional character who definitely can't have feelings about it and they, it it allows a greater degree of freedom i think from a from a sort of like interpersonal and ethical point of view that then like engaging with with real thick does um because like you do kind of have to think about another person's feelings <laughs> when you're gonna when you're gonna yeah. gonna do that and if you're gonna like stand up and start reading your fic about a person to that person like and again like 
I think I've said this to you before, but I, I don't enjoy receiving that attention toward me, the person like I am love it when people talk about my work like that's super mm-hmm. great uh it's not always easy but like definitely is something that i am like always open to and and really interested in but like any kind of that like of positive attention toward me the person is incredibly difficult for me to deal with and I yeah. would I definitely feel like if there was real fanfic about me, I would try and stop my heart with my mind. If it was about a specific character or show, like, mm-hmm. I think it, I th- like that would be totally fine. I would encourage it. I would be like, yeah, do it. I'm so into that. But me, the human person, that's too close. I, I can't. You know, it's 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 both too close and too far away, right? Because like, there's no mm-hmm. way the thing, the version of me that exists in, like, the fictionalized version of me that exists in that person's head is actually connected to who I am, the person. Yes, that's very true. Absolutely. And, and what people think they know, they don't actually know. We we all sort of have our external persona as and that is mm-hmm. that is might be I, I try and keep mine like pretty close I think to squidgy weird internal persona but there there's definitely still there's there's outside face and voice and inside yeah. face yeah. and voice I I just don't think that people want to see me on my couch with a blanket over myself with my laptop on me and basically half asleep Mm -hmm. one eye open trying to like write something but interestingly like I think we might be wrong as as I think about it because I'm like no one actually wants to see that but I actually think maybe they do and here is my source on that is that so much fan fiction is about Mm -hmm. quiet intimate domesticity so Mm -hmm. uh and this is something that i i find a lot um like obviously there's like big adventure stories too of course like fan fiction is never only one thing so whenever i say like fan fiction is like i'm i'm never referring to it as like a, a monolithic block um but there is a lot of like what what a about what do these characters do on their days off or their time off? Like what happens in Avengers tower when there aren't any bad guys to fight. And like Thor is just like in the kitchen in his underwear. And like, like, what does that look like? What are those relationships? What is, what is that like quiet hanging out? And like, personally, I want to know, I like, I super 100% want that. Like show me all of the behind the scenes nonsense yeah and so much fan fiction is obsessed with that yeah i would love to know if they watch bon appetit the youtube channel Absolutely. if they were like totally like oh my god i can't believe adam Rappaport is a big <laughs> racist <laughs> What 100% that was like, like, I I for sure see like Captain America being like super mad about that entire scenario. And like, (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> obsessively follows like Sola's channel and like subscribes to yeah. her Patreon now. Like absolutely. He's a Sola stan for sure. <laughs> 100%. He is now writing fanfic about Sola. We are now writing fanfic about him writing fanfic about Sola. Did I just blow your mind? But that's like, see, we you think about a character, right? Like you think about a character that you love mm-hmm. in a universe that you spent a lot of time in. And in and nowhere do, I, do we have any idea like what Captain America's views on cooking shows are. I'm like, I have an extremely advanced idea. It turns out about exactly what that would look like if I think about <laughs> it for two minutes. Like, what? Like, oh yeah, absolutely. He watches like sous vide tutorials. Like, no question. Like a hundred percent. Like, I can see it so yep. clearly because you you do get to know fictional characters and you do get to like as you gain affection for them and you learn about some aspects of their personality, you start extrapolating the other ones. And a, yeah. a lot of fan fiction like wants to spend time with those characters in other kinds of places and, you know, in other modes. And a lot of that is like very domestic and very interior and very intimate and is, you know, like is, is there are many more quiet moments in a way that you mm-hmm. kind of don't get in, you know, big bombastic stories in particular. You don't have a lot of time to slow down and, you know, really explore someone's interiority or, you know, the, you know, when you're when you're kind of like jumping from one epic battle to one epic battle, you don't really see what those two characters are like together like in an intimate space. But, you know, you there's we're we're really only seeing like those characters at their most external and their most projected and their most controlled. Um, so a lot of fan fiction gives the opportunity to kind of build a space where we get the the sort of shadow side of their characters, which like again I think is is part of the reason why there's just like so much sex and so much weird sex is like it's all mm-hmm. the, it's all the behind the veil stuff, right? Which is you know yeah. can definitely be like. What does it look like in the morning when everybody's making coffee? What does it look like when everybody's sitting on a couch watching movies? What does it look like when two people are in bed together? Like, what does it look like when they're having an argument? Like, all of those things um, end up being worked out uh, because we don't get to see them in universe very often because they're they're not important enough all of the time for that kind of mm-hmm. screen time. Yep. So I know that when we were talking originally we also were talking about how within the fanfic community there's really good use of going back to sort of the consent and how things sort of work out within the community there's a really good use of trigger warnings there's a really good use of tagging there's a really good use of like just letting people know that the what the content they're going to be reading and the content that they're going to be engaging with like what is going to be in there so kind of like talk us through what that's like absolutely so i'm i'm super passionate about content tags and fascinated by this as a as a subject and uh fan fiction is entirely to blame for why i care about this at all any fanfic repository um ao3 which is the acronym for an archive of our own like fanfiction.net but any any place any place where where fan fiction is sort of collected on the internet has an extraordinarily robust tagging system 
AO3 is, I think, a really excellent example of this. Um, so content is tagged not only for characters um, it's, and for, you know, the universe that it takes place in or the, you know, the, the, the fictional world in which, it, in, in which it exists, but it's tagged for pairings. It's tagged for all kinds of content. This can be like everything from a specific sexual act to a specific type of violence, to the tone of the story, to the subgenre, to whether it's part of a series or a standalone fic, like all of this stuff. They're even tagged... A very interesting tag, I think, is the, like, is not tagged tag. <laughs> we'll come back to that in a moment. So I think it's super fascinating. <laughs> okay. Um, part of this comes from the fact that, like, there's just so much of it. And so in order to, like, effectively navigate these huge archives in any way, like, you have to be super robust with your categorization. Part of it is, like, you know, people come yeah. to a place, even though it's all up on an archive of our own, for example, like there are hundreds and hundreds of fictional universes there. So like you got to be able, mm -hmm. people are, and people are only there for their fandoms really. So you have to make it very easy for people to find their particular fandom, their particular ships within that particular fandom. So like the relationships they're looking yep. for, the pairings that they're looking for. And I'm using pairings for any number of, of people here. Yeah. Cause I'm sure that there's like ships within ships there yeah and there's there's a lot of like love triangles there's a lot of polycules yeah. like there's a lot there's a lot of stuff going on there and you know finding what you're looking for is really really important mm -hmm. and that in fan fiction like has been broken out and broken down in an incredibly detailed and granular way. Mm -hmm. So that can be like big categories sometimes. Um, hurt comfort fic, for example, is like a very, very popular subgenre, but there's like a ton of other like sub subgenres within that. It's really possible to find what you're looking for. And it's also really possible to avoid what you don't want to find because there's there are kind of like there are two reasons to tag content right there's to you know to locate what you're what you are looking for and to avoid what you don't want to be exposed to and they're both equally valid and extremely important and tags help with both of them extensively a kind of additional screen that some sites use that i really really like a lot is if someone chooses not to tag their content it is automatically tagged with a like this person has not tagged the content <laughs> so that's great because you know there are reasons why you might not want to get like spoilers whatever you know there there are for sure reasons why you might choose not to use certain tags or choose not to use types of content tags um but knowing something isn't tagged means you can either like, well, I don't know what this is. So like, I need to be prepared for that. Engage with caution. <laughs> engage with caution or not engage at all. Right. Yeah. Like I don't, I, and whether that's like, I really don't want to waste my time with something that doesn't have, you know, like I'm not in the mood for a sexy fic today. So if I can't, like, I just want to be reading PG things today. So like, I'm not, gonna wander into a situation where like I may have thwarted myself <laughs> or like you know I'm really looking for a very specific thing and if I can't 
like guarantee that this has it. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to take time with it. I think it's fascinating because it's so robust. It's often like tags are often used as part of the art. Like, so there are both functional tags and then there are also like tags that are just there to be funny or tags that are, you know, end up kind of becoming like intertextual, like hashtag I'm sorry, hashtag (laughs) no, I'm not. And I think it's so great because we often hear about how people complain about content warnings or complain about like how the tagging content or all of these different things, they make excuses and it's just like, it's just so easy. It's very easy. It's very easy. It's, it costs, it costs you like nothing. Yeah. I personally feel that tagged content is read more often than untagged content. Mm-hmm. You know, the argument that, you know, content tagging like decreases the impact of art or like lets people avoid art or whatever <laughs> is like complete garbage. I think that kind of leads into the the next topic, uh, which is how fan fiction kind of, you know, leads us to the capital L literature pipeline. <laughs> you you know how those two things they just kind of like they feed so well into one another don't they (laughs) (laughs) so i don't think i'm going to send say anything like revolutionary when i tell you that i think that fan fiction is unfairly disparaged and agreed yeah (laughs) is definitely considered like hardcore low art Mm -hmm. when in fact like there is some exquisite exquisitely written fic in the world that is, Mm -hmm. you know, just as good as any capital L literature. Um, There's also a lot of garbage, but then like, there's also a lot of books that are a lot of garbage too. So yeah. And like, here's, here's, here's the thing as, as somebody who spent like a lot of time in the literary community and obviously a lot of time around fan fiction too, fanfic just wants you to explore the shit that you love regardless of whether it is silly or frivolous or horny or stupid or whatever. It's just like, do you like a thing? Great. Like, like that thing as hard as you want. Here you go. Like, here is your space for liking of this thing. I feel like we don't really give people space to like things. Or we try to police what they should like because it's we've decided that this is good and high art and worthy of of liking you know like i feel like i'm you know like in my i my mid latish 30s now um a fact that still astounds me but like i've just i've just been like on this trajectory to coming back around to everything i liked when i was 13 years old like same what did i (laughs) i was 13 and listening to like a lot of heavy metal and reading a lot of books that had like a wizard holding an orb on the cover like and what, lo and behold, what is it that I am doing now in my 30s? Um, but there was definitely like, like I had to come back to metal, right? Like I had to, I had to like go through a period when I'm like, well, this probably isn't a thing I should be doing because I'm trying to be like a serious, intelligent, academic, whatever person. And then like I got beautifully disillusioned and it was like, actually, this thing is awesome. And I should just go back to like liking the things that are awesome and I enjoy. Yeah. And, and, and fan fiction is like just such a great outlet for an opportunity for that like unabashed liking of a thing um, and that like 
you know, embracing of a embracing of a passion. And I, I feel like I feel like I spent a lot of time in my own writing, like trying to sound smart and trying mm-hmm. to write things, you know, that I thought were serious or were worth writing about or like were important topics or which isn't to say that like I don't think what I do now is important or good, but it's it's also what I want to be doing. Like I'm not I'm not writing like stuff that's like my vegetables. <laughs> like it's not like well i'm gonna write i'm gonna write it this way because that's like more literary and and probably therefore like more good for you like i'm i'm just gonna write the stuff i want to write yeah in the ways i want to write it in like you know and and if that means being like funny and gross then like that's how i'm gonna do it because that's really fun for me and i think that that like that comes directly from fan fiction. Like write the thing you want in the way you want to write it. And and it is about the joy of making the thing, not the like make sure you sound really smart at the end of it. I love that because I think for me, when I try and write, it's really difficult because writing a piece for, you know, the newspaper or a magazine is much different than trying to write a book. Those are two different mediums. And I feel like when you're trying to, and I, before I finish this, I applaud you for writing an, an, a fictional novel because, wow, that is a completely different thing than a nonfiction and you are amazing and incredible. Oh my God, thank you. And basically where I wanted to end my thought is that it's really difficult because when you go and present your work, not like nonfiction work for like magazines, newspapers, whatever, but to like capital L literature people, they're just sort of like, it's not literary enough for me. It's not this enough for me. And it's kind of like, very good. I mean, what what is that? Like, I need to know. Yeah, it's just about like, I hear what you're saying. And I love that. And I love that, like, there's a space where you can just have fun, write what you want to write. It is it is completely, I think, incorrect to assume, one, that like serious writers, capital S, capital W, don't read or write, quite frankly, fan fiction. Like, mm-hmm. I, I am here to tell you that they absolutely do, number yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, number two, a lot of them are probably lying about not um, or just <laughs> don't mention it. Yeah. Uh, I know some of their secrets, so I can definitely like prove this is true if called upon. And also, like, I think that there are really important lessons to be taken from fan fiction into like original fic it's a lot easier for example to get like feedback on fan fiction than it is original fiction like people want to talk about the stuff that you're making like they Mm -hmm. will leave comments unprompted if you're like i'm open to constructive criticism like you will get it like it is an incredibly like active and passionate literary community like from a workshopping perspective like you can really like hone your craft and get good that is absolutely 100 percent true i think there's much more of a like you know start writing fan fiction gradually start building your own world's pipeline Mm -hmm. you know there are there are writers like cassandra clear who for sure started as like very famous fic writers and like used that platform Mm -hmm. to then like launch a different kind of career and 
you know, that does, that for sure does happen. Yeah. I think a lot of people hide their fanfic origins because they think probably not without reason that they're like going to get shit on by the yeah. literary community for like doing something so frivolous or whatever. Personally think like that's all entirely bullshit. And like, however you learn how to write is how you learned how to write. And there is fanfiction is an incredibly powerful way to learn how to write with joy mm -hmm. and write about like, what are the things you fanfiction taught me more about what I like in stories and what I like writing about and what I want to see more in stories than like anything else, yeah. like anything else in the world. Like there are, there are lots of, lots of learning that I took away from like a great literature too. And, and for sure I'm not, I like, these things are not, like an either or, but they, they are for sure a both. Yeah. Um, and, you know, fan fiction is utterly obsessed with just like what you, with what you want to happen, what you like seeing in stories, spending more time in the places you want to spend more time in exploring characters you wish had more airtime, like all of that artistic wish fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So it gets you in the habit of like, well, I want to write the thing I write. I want to write the sort of stories I like. People write fan fiction because, they want to read it. Yes. That's how I ended up writing my novel. It's like, I want to read a story. I know exactly what it is. Yeah. Like, I know the kinds of characters it has. I know the tone it's in. I know the, like, ideas I want it to explore. And I can't find it. And it turns out it might not exist. So, shit. I guess <laughs> I know the answer to that. And, like, fan fiction teaches you, like, then make it. Right. Yeah. Like then if you if there's a thing you want that you can't find, the solution is make it because probably someone else wishes it exists, too. And you know what? I think I love that you also said that because that's sort of where the idea for my book came from, is that like I did all this research and I was like, the book that I want to read doesn't exist. It's just not out there. It's like right. there's things kind of like it but the book that I want to read in the world is not out there so make it just make it yep that <laughs> is also incidentally the way you become the world's foremost expert on something so which you can do entirely by accident <laughs> I, I I want to assure you is that like if you get really interested in something mm -hmm. and you read everything there is out there about like this one particular thing like this is a, an experience that we're gonna digress a tiny bit but i promise it's relevant so uh i was i like became obsessed with this this person on tiktok who is a uh, specialist in illuminated manuscripts like marginal illustrations okay. so like yeah the, the cool ass little like doodles in medieval manuscripts yeah, yeah. in particular the snails because like snails are a very common yeah. often snails battling each other is a very okay. very common like medieval image and no one super knows why uh like why snails mysteries so they got super interested in this and like read everything they could find about it you know there's there there was like one other thesis that they found and they like ended up you know writing doing a project that like basically took all the stuff they could find put it together wrote a bunch of papers based on like the okay like if you take this research here and this research here like actually we think that maybe it's this and 
accidentally did a survey of like literally all the material that exists on this subject and is like, I now find myself as the foremost expert in the world on like snails in illuminated manuscripts. And I didn't want to be, I wanted to find the grown up. Like I was, I was just trying to find the adult in the situation yeah. who actually knew the answers to these things. Like clearly they must exist somewhere. And then you accidentally become that person. <laughs> Oopsie. And I, I, I feel like there's something like, like that kind of encapsulates exactly this creative impulse where it's yeah. like, I really want this to exist really badly and I can't find it. So I guess I'm going to have to put it together myself. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> the thing that I know is happening though, and perhaps you've also seen this happening is places like Wattpad are opening up and they're sort of, putting studio dollars behind trying to make some of these fix happen and come to life so they can sort of be on prime and they can get all these streaming deals so it's like eventually people who are writing fic might actually get to become something a little bit more or get these tv deals get that bank get that cheddar here's the thing like good writing is good writing if you've written a like 600,000 word like slow burn romance that like thousands of people have read because it's very good and like but it just happens to e exist in the who framed Roger Rabbit universe like mm -hmm. you still wrote the thing and it's still very and it doesn't matter where it's set mm -hmm. right like what matters is you wrote a thing that was good and you know there's lots of pretense about like what gets to be art and what gets to be considered good art and whatever but the fact of the matter is like there is if there's a hunger for content and like right now there is for sure like a unprecedented demand for content so people are looking in places they may not have looked before yep. for new voices and new content and new stories and because fan fiction has so long been a place where like alternative stories exist and like whether that's like as in like an alt reality version or like alternative characters or marginalized characters like those are places that are much less overmined for content so it makes sense that like places that need content are looking to them for like, what are the good voices here? What are the stories people are gravitating towards? What is the content people want more of? And like starting to let that inform larger content decisions. So before we wrap up the episode, we normally play a little game with everybody that we have on. And we like to tailor it to every single person that we have on the episode. So I intriguing. <laughs> I I was trying to think of what I would do for the two of us. And you tell me if you're up for this. It's a little I'm putting you a little bit on the okay, spot. Okay. If if you're not if you're not down, but I feel I feel like you can do this. So, we know that Black Widow got released today. Yes. Uh, if you were going to write a piece of fan fiction oh. about that or expand that a little bit more, 
how would you do that? Like like Black Widow's backstory, that that universe. I'm gonna leave it entirely up to you. Oh yeah, okay. No, this is a this is this is a great question. This is this is a really good question. Um, I mean the the easy answer is I would love to write the the Natasha and Clint story during the five years after the snap. Mm-hmm. Like I think there's I think there's a lot that happened there that is implied. It's clear that, you know, they haven't spoken in quite a long time when the events of like Endgame pick mm-hmm. up. But that doesn't mean that like that happened immediately right like clint has been through some shit (laughs) so as you know as has literally everybody but i think that i think i'd i'd really love to natasha is also one of the few people who like sticks around and tries to like keep the lights on right you know like and she and cap are kind of like holding down the homestead in this like really desperate situation and i i think that there's uh, I would really like to go through some of that, like what what happened during that period of time, what happened with her to her relationship with Clint, what happens to her relationship with Cap, like what the the kind of struggles to make it through that really weird kind of lacuna period yeah. looks like where everything is everything is entirely fucked up. And it it, you know. They have five years in which they lost. And we don't see that yep. because, you know, I'm, like, I think that it for for reasons that, you know, narratively make sense. But I think this is this is exactly why fic exists and like what kind of space it exists for. It's like what happened in that terrible, quiet period. And also why are why is uh, Black Widow and Hulk like why are they so far apart mm-hmm. like what happened to their relationship right like what happens to cuz previously they have this like really intense intimacy that is as as you know Bruce Banner like kind of fuses the two halves of his identity and comes to terms with a lot of that like i do think he loses a lot of that connection to Natasha in the process and I'd be like really curious to learn more about or explore more about like what happens there what happens to their relationships I also don't feel and I haven't I haven't seen it it was you know like it really did just come out so I have not yet watched (laughs) it so I, I don't know like what the contents of the film are but I think that like Black Widow like we know she wasn't always what we would consider like a virtuous or heroic person. Mm-hmm. And I I think we we like only see her like brush up against it in that like other people mention it and she's like, yeah, I'm not that person anymore. But we don't ever really see her wrestle with it by which which I mean like it takes a lot of time to unlearn things <laughs> yep. uh, and it takes a lot, right? Like, and it takes a lot of time to like, like the, the black widow we meet like way back in Iron Man, whatever is already on board and has already processed her shit. It is definitely not like what she will become for sure, but she is like on a different team as is a different person with a different identity who has like done a ton of mental work, like obviously to become a new person on a very different side. And so we don't 
ever really see her like fucking up and we don't see all her like bad instincts that no longer fit and we don't see her maladaptive behaviors and we don't see like all of that like learning what being appreciated looks like and learning what friendship Mm -hmm. is and like none of that happens on screen we kind of get somebody who's like medium functional already and i'd really like to see more of the like i want to i've decided i want to be a good guy but i have no fucking idea how to do that and am in fact actively bad at it (laughs) just reading some like you know um some books by bessel van der kock and like you know all the such just reading some trauma books, trying to like yeah. get in touch with their inner self. Yeah, just like, you know, not reacting like with certain types of violence yeah. or like to certain types of violence or like expecting something that doesn't happen and like having to process that and, you know, like what what are what are her triggers and how does she dismantle them and, you know, like all that oh no, I'm experiencing a new feeling. Like now, now the fuck, what do I do with this? Like, you know, I'm super fascinated like to me personally. So I'd, I'd really like to see more of that. Knowing what it's like to communicate how you're feeling. Knowing what a feeling is. <gasps> Being able to literally name them. A skill I still only medium am okay at. Uncovering new things each and every day, which seems like a journey and a blessing. Nat, I truly loved having you on the episode today. This was an amazing conversation before we... Super fun. Yeah, this was fun. Before I... We we jump off. I want you to tell each and every one of our listeners where they can find you. Oh, sure. I am most places on the internet as Natalie Zed. Uh, I'm most active on Twitter. So just my name, at Natalie Zed. That is where you can find me. My website is NatalieWallshots.com. So just my first and last name. And then my book, which came out last fall, is called Hench. Came out from HarperCollins. The soft cover is going to be available very shortly, which is very exciting. Is it going to be the same image or is it going to be a different cover it's it's the same image different color so different like palette but different palette same art there might be some bonus material <gasps> there mm-hmm. this is very exciting and yeah i i so you can find me there i also um, am writing for a, a like arg slash interactive experience company called the boundless library so give that a look we do very weird stuff that comes to you in the mail Awesome. And you can rate our podcast and, of course, just tune in. Thanks for listening, everyone. This podcast is obviously rad, so come on back. <laughs>